song, Days of Elijah. Here we go.
Amen. Praise the Lord. And this morning as we come to our time of prayer here at the altar, uh, perhaps there's a need on your heart this morning and you'd just like to bring that to the Lord. The altar is going to be open here. Uh, maybe that pew in front of you needs to be the altar for you. Maybe at home, uh, that chair or that couch where you're at. Uh, but let's uh, spend some time with the Lord in prayer. With every head bowed and with all eyes closed this morning. The altar is open. Come, let's spend time with him. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for the fact that we recognize that you love us, and Lord, you hear us, and that Lord, when we pray, that Lord, it changes our hearts, and Lord, it, it, it is not just that you hear us, but you answer our prayers, and Lord, today I pray that as we come before you, Lord, that we would be willing to lay down whatever the need is on our hearts. And that, Lord, we'd be willing to trust you with it. Whether that is a, a health issue or a relationship issue, a financial issue. Or, or Lord, that, that we may be praying for that loved one, that, that close friend that's lost. Lord, that we would truly trust you with it. And recognizing there's no need for us to fret and worry. That, Lord, you've got it under control. And that, Lord, when we hand it over to you... Lord, that we can trust that you're going to take care of it. And so, Lord, today, whatever it is that is that's burdensome on our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would truly be able to get past that and truly focus on you and, and what you want to say to us this morning. Because I truly believe that as we continue to sing and that as we spend time in prayer and as we study your word, Lord, you, you have something to say to us. You have a message for us, Lord, for us as individuals, not just for the person that's that's sitting beside us, but for us personally. And Lord, I pray that we would have receptive hearts and be ready to hear from you today. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh Lord, you are our all in all. We give our praise to you. Would you stand with me, please? And let's worship him. I hope Lord, he is your all in all. Let's be praised. You are my strength when I am weak. You are my treasure that I see. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus. Jesus, Lamb. 
voices only. Praise him. Sing with me. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, to Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. If you'll play, ladies, this choir goes down. Princes and paupers, sons and daughters, kneel at the throne of grace. Losers and winners, saints and sinners, one day we'll see his face, and we will surrender their crowns and worship Jesus for he is the love the unfailing love yes he is the love of God Summer and winter, the mountains and the rivers whisper the Savior's name. Awesome and holy, a friend of the lonely, forever his love will reign. And we Love, he is the love of God. 
Praise the Lord. Well, I hope your heart is prepared uh, this morning for God's word to be proclaimed because I believe the Lord has spoken to us in an awesome way in our time together this morning already. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 25 through 33. And we're going to focus on the topic of seek first his kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, as you're turning there in your Bibles, let's go to the Lord together in prayer this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for an opportunity to once again open up your word and to hear from you. And Lord, this morning we've already had the opportunity to lift up our hearts and our voices and praise and to spend this time in prayer And I pray now that, Lord, uh, we might truly understand as we study this text what it means uh, to be about your kingdom and not our kingdom, to be more focused on your will uh, than our will. And so this morning, I pray that you would speak to hearts. And most importantly, this morning, if there's even one here that doesn't yet know you as Savior and as Lord, I pray the day would be the day of salvation for them, that for the very first time in their life, that they would surrender the lordship of their life from themselves and over to you. And, uh, Lord, that they would, by faith, accept uh, what you have done for them upon the cross of Calvary and be saved. Lord, I recognize that I am a very weak vessel, and I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that only you would be seen, Lord, that only you would be heard today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have shared with some of you over the last uh, few weeks that my dad has a new puppy at his house. Um, And it's the first time that a pet has ever been allowed in that house. Didn't happen when I was around. Uh, but for the very first time, uh, there is a, there's a little Dotson brand new puppy in my dad's house. And so those of you who have inside dogs know that there is much that you must do to teach and to train a puppy uh, if they're going to live inside of your house And you're both going to function well together. And so that process is not always an easy one. Because these puppies can be a bit hard-headed at times. um, Meaning that they can make a few messes during that learning process. However, it's absolutely essential that that puppy learn whose they are and who the master is if they are to dwell within that house. So it takes time. But when a dog finally learns who the master is and that they are there for the enjoyment, for the well-being of the master, life becomes much sweeter for the master and for the canine. There's an old saying that you're never too old to learn. And I believe that there is one lesson uh, that regardless of age that we all need to learn and we need to learn it well. And that is found in Psalm 90 verse 12. To teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That means that we, we want him to teach us to number our days and to recognize how few they are. To help us to spend those days wisely. Help us to understand whose we are and what it is that he has called us to do. In this life, someone has observed that life is like a dollar bill. 
you can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it once. Now, when you spend that money, uh, there are only really two ways that it can be spent. You can waste it or you can invest it. And the same is true in our life as well. Whether you're old or young, six or 60, healthy and wealthy, or poor and puny, you can make the decision to serve the master. And you can make the decision to make your life count by doing what? By doing what we're going to see this morning. By seeking first his kingdom. Not our kingdom, but his kingdom. Suppose you were starting life all over again this morning. And you're old enough to know right from wrong. You're old enough to learn. You're old enough to love. You're old enough to really live. If you could ask the Lord, Jesus Christ, how to make the rest of your life the best of your life, what do you think that he would say? I don't think we'd have to wonder what he would say. I think it's found in our text this morning in Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I think you can summarize what Jesus said there very easily with three simple words. First things first. I know that sounds simple, but I want to tell you that if you, if you beginning today would consciously and continually and consistently put Christ first and his kingdom first, it would absolutely transform your life. If everything you did was not about your will and your kingdom, but about his will and his kingdom, if you put first things first, it would transform your life. The formula for how to do that is found in this tremendous statement that it comes directly from the lips of our Savior. And so this morning, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And let's look together at Matthew chapter 6, beginning there in verse 25 and going through verse 33. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what ye shall eat and what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You may be seated. I think it's important that we read those verses leading up to verse 33 to understand what Jesus is talking about here. 
to understand that he is, he is saying that if we will seek God's kingdom first, if we will seek his will first, that God will take care of the other needs in our lives, that we can live a, a life that is the life that he has called us to live, that, that has the purpose that he has called for it to have. But how do we seek first his kingdom? Well, the first thing we do is we set the proper priorities. Everything rises and falls on this right here, setting proper priorities. If your priorities are not in order, your life will not be in order. If your priorities are not right, you won't be right. You don't have to pray about what your number one priority in life ought to be. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to, to discuss it. You don't have to look for it. You just have to do it. Because Jesus has already told us what our first priority must always be. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's about priorities. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward here. Every day of your life, you ought to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, in order to seek the kingdom, you must first seek the king. Because you can't have a kingdom without a king. So the first priority of your life ought to be to seek the king of the kingdom. Did you know that the Christian life is more than just accepting the Lord? It is seeking the Lord. The Lord is not just someone that we one time in our life passively uh, accept and then there's nothing more to it. He is someone that for the rest of your life you actively seek and I can tell you something about your relationship with God this morning, regardless of who you are, regardless of, of how much or how little that I might know about you. I can tell you how much of God you have this morning. You have all of God that you want. Every last one of us here this morning, regardless of what we might say to other people, you have exactly as much of God this morning as you want. God does not have any favorites, but he does have intimates. And what I mean by that is, in James 4, he says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. God has promised in his word in Jeremiah 29, 13, and ye seek, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. It is not enough to seek the Lord. You must seek him first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. First things first means putting the Father first. There are three words here in this passage that I think are very important for us to draw attention to. In fact, if you've got a pencil or something that you can circle or, or, or underline, there, there's three words here that I think are very important in this passage. When you go down to verse 30, there's the word faith. And then when you go down to verse 32, there's the word father. And then you go down to verse 33, and there's the word first. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. We must place our faith in the Father first if we are to seek his kingdom. 
if we were to have the relationship that he has called us to have. And, and what is faith? Well, faith is putting the Father first. Let me tell you something. Jesus does not want just some place in your life. Jesus does not even want prominence in your life. Jesus demands preeminence in your life. No other beside him. No other before him. Jesus wants the first moment of every day. Jesus wants the first day of every week. Jesus wants the first part of every paycheck. He wants to be first in every aspect of your life. He's not interested in being the first runner-up in your beauty contest. He's not interested in being the co-pilot of your life. He isn't interested in being the vice president of your corporation. He isn't interested in being second in command in your army. He isn't interested in, in, in any of those things. He wants to be the king on the throne of your heart and not the co-partner in your duplex. He demands preeminence. But not only are we to seek the king, we ought to seek the kingdom. The kingdom of God ought to be the obsession of our life. The word kingdom there literally means rule or reign. A kingdom is a place where a king rules with sovereignty. To seek the kingdom of God is to seek the rule and the reign of God over your entire life. That he has sovereignty over your life. Now, when you truly seek a king and you truly seek his kingdom, you are automatically seeking for three things. First, you're seeking for the glory of the king. Every part and parcel of your life, every minute and every moment of your time, every ounce and every pound of your strength, every muscle and every fiber of your body ought to be given for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. But secondly, it means to seek for the guidance of the king. A loyal subject always wants to do whatever the king would have him or her to do. There is no higher calling in life than to find out what your king wants done and then for you to have the opportunity to be the one who goes and does it. Think about that. The honor and the privilege of, of, of being a subject to the king, finding out what he needs done, and you being the one able to go and to accomplish that. Every morning of your life, you ought to begin to ask the Lord, Jesus, what Paul asked the Lord on that Damascus road, Lord, what would you have me to do? But then thirdly, it means to seek the government of the king. A loyal subject will desire to be controlled by the king, to be governed by the king, to be ruled by the king. And, and, and some really kind of shriek back at this. What, you're, what, you're talking about slavery, Brother Brad. Are you saying we're to be a slave to Jesus? Absolutely, yes. That is exactly what I'm saying. We are to be a slave to Christ. I'll tell you what, the, the greatest liberty in the world is found in being controlled by the right master. A loving master. One who gave his life for you. Has it ever occurred to you that if your will 
was God's will, then God's will would always be done in your life. Then you, then you would always have that which you desire. If you would surrender your will to his, if what you supremely wanted in your life was what God supremely wants, then guess what? That's going to take place. And you're always going to have your heart's desire because it's going to be the desire of your master. There was a lady who was deathly sick and a neighbor came to visit her and asked whether she wanted to live or die at that point. And she said, I just want to do whatever pleases God. And so the neighbor said, well, what if God were to refer the matter to you? Which would you choose? And she said, well, if God were to refer the matter back to me, I would just refer the matter back to him. That lady had her priorities in the right order. God knows what's best for me. God knows what's right for me. God, God wants what's, what's, what is the very best in my life, whether I understand that here and now or not. I trust him. And so you can believe this or you can not believe this, but it would be better to die in the will of God than to live 100 years outside of the will of God. Because when we're in the will of God, we're right where we need to be. But secondly, how do we seek first his kingdom? Seek personal purity. Seek personal purity. Not only are we to seek his kingdom, but we're also to seek his righteousness. That is, not only are we to be seeking God's control over us, but we are to also to be seeking God's character within us the kingdom of God is not only to be inwardly experienced it is also outwardly expressed within our lives if God is ruling over you then his righteousness will be within you because a man's character is simply the outward expression of whatever is controlling him inwardly faith is always seen by its fruits that's what James is saying James is not saying through the book of James that you can earn your salvation he's saying that if you're truly saved if you truly have a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ it's going to be evident there's going to be some fruit and so character is always seen in the conduct of our life Proverbs 20 verse 12 the hearing ear and the seeing eye the Lord hath made even both of them you see as we seek the kingdom of God, people ought to be able to see the kingdom in us. It ought to be evident in all that we do. We're never going to make a difference in this world until the world can see a radical difference in your life and mine. Until people are like, well, clearly, clearly they're Christians because they live radically different than the rest of us. But we want to be just like everybody else, don't we? We don't want to be seen as, as different. But here it's clear that we have to be different. Nietzsche, the Roman philosopher, was the philosophical founder of the Nazi movement in Germany. And he was the first man in history to come to the conclusion and say, well, God is dead. And he, he came to that conclusion, he said, by looking at Christians, by, by, by examining 
the lifestyle of Christians. And you know what he said about us? You know what he said about Christians? He said, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, then you're going to have to look a little more redeemed. He looked around at the Christians around him, those who claimed to have a relationship with Christ, and he said, you are no different than anyone else. There is no change in your life. So why should I believe in this God that you say is able to change you when it doesn't seem that you've been changed at all? The real mark of a Christian is that he makes it easier for others to believe in God. And I can say that I have a few people in my life that I've watched in their life, their witness, their testimony of the life that they lived in front of me, made it easier for me to believe in God. Because they were radically different than those around them. I recognized that they weren't like everybody else. And the only thing that was different about them was that they had been with Christ. That's the difference. Not just because they were good people or just because they did good things. But they were radically different because of this relationship. They were consumed with Jesus. Now what does it mean to seek the righteousness of God? First, we must desire it. We do what we really want to do. Did you know that? We kind of talked about that last Sunday night. We do what we really want to do. And we are what we really want to be. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Again, you have just as much of, of God as you want. So you ought to desire to be right, to do right, to live right, just as much as you as a hungry man desire food or as a thirsty man desire water. But you also must derive it, meaning it, we, we are to seek his righteousness. God is not interested in your righteousness. Did you know that? He's not interested in your righteousness. He is only interested in his righteousness within you. God is not interested in what you can do for him. He is only interested in what he can do through you in your life. And so it will be a great day when you learn the difference between self-righteousness and the Savior's righteousness. Paul, after he was saved, made that's one of the goals of his life. And he speaks it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul says, I don't have anything within me that's going to accomplish anything of lasting eternal significance. But Christ, if you will work in and through me, that's what I desire. That's what will change the world. That's what will change eternity. I want you to learn a lesson about righteousness this morning. Righteousness must be imputed before it can be imparted. Now those are some big words, so let's simplify it this morning. Before you can live it, God must give it. That's exactly why Jesus came. That's exactly why Jesus died, that we might have the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then thirdly, we must depict it. We ought to live like kingdom subjects. I believe it was Will Rogers who once said, 
that we ought to be able to live in such a way that we would not be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. If you think about that for a minute, you're like, yeah, I don't know. But that's truly what this is speaking of. And then thirdly, how do we seek first his kingdom? See promised prosperity. The Lord says that if you will seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. Now again, all these things, what do we do? We go back up to verse 25 and we speak of all these things that that he's talking about here. All these things. All these things. Now what things is he referring to? He was talking about all the things that people worry about. And really, if you go back to verse 19, we're told that people worry about their finances. That they lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. They're concerned about their their finances. In verse 25, we're told that people worry about food. Wherefore, I say unto you, Take no thought of your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Verse 27, we're told that people worry about fitness. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? We're told in verse 28 that people worry about fashion. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Now all of those things, if you look at those things that are spoken of there, all those things are, are, are legitimate needs of life. Things that we need in order to survive on this earth. So that's why the Lord says in verse 32, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Even Jesus says you don't have want of all these things. You have a need for them. These are things that you you need to have in order to live, in order to survive on this earth. So so that's not the problem. The Lord has promised that, that that if we will seek first his kingdom, if we will seek first his righteousness, you will have all of the needs of your life. They'll be met in proper order. Now, I did not say, I did not say that you would have necessarily all the things that you want. And that's an important distinction here. I'm convinced that there are four lessons that as parents that, or grandparents um, that we must all teach to our children. And, and some of us probably need to relearn, maybe even more so us as adults need to relearn um, these, these principles. Four things. It'll make life a lot better if we could just get this through our thick skulls. And first of all, you don't need everything you want. You don't need everything you want. I wish I had all the money back on the things that I have bought and put in my house that have later become items in a yard sale. Because I did not need them. And I don't even know how they work. But I needed it at the time. So I bought it. I, sometimes we'll go to Branson and we'll go in one of those as seen on TV stores and I'm like, I need that. I didn't even know it existed 30 seconds ago, but now I need it. 
And then I spend the $39.95 on it, and I'm like, I don't know what this is. You don't need everything you want. Secondly, you don't want everything you need. You don't even want everything you need. How many of you got some whoopings as a kid that you needed? Did you want them? No, but I needed them. I needed them. There's a few of you that knew me as a child, and you're saying, amen. Didn't see you being a pastor. They really didn't. But I needed those whoopings. I didn't want them, but I needed them. Thirdly, God doesn't give us everything that we want. I, for one, am so glad that he doesn't give us everything that we want. You know, one of the greatest blessings of God is oftentimes found in those things that he doesn't give us. I read one time the confession of an unknown soldier um, that was tremendously blessed, and I believe this is a tremendous blessing if we will listen to these words. He said, I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for healing that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. And I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. And I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all the things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. And I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered, and I am among all men most richly blessed. And the last lesson is God always gives us what we need. God always gives us what we need. There were two stores across the street from one another. And they were highly competitive with one another. Trying to get ahead, they were constantly doing one thing or another against one another. And so one day the manager of the one store came out and and he had a sign in his hand and he nailed it up in the front of his store. And on that sign, it read, If you want it, we have it. If you want it, we have it. And so the manager of the other store walked out and he saw the sign and he infuriated him. And it took a few minutes for him to think something up. And after a, a minute, he went back inside and, and he wrote on a, on a sign himself, and he brought it out, and he nailed it to the front of his store. And on the sign on the front of his store, it says, if we don't have it, then you don't need it. And I can tell you something right now, that no matter what you may think, if you don't have it, it's because God knows at this point in your life, you don't really need it. At this point in your life, you don't really need it. You're not prepared for it. It's going to hurt you. It's, it's going to damage you. 
Because many times we ask for things that we don't need. Many times we ask for things that if we got them, it'd be poison in our life. And he knows that. And he, as a good father, keeps those things away from us. You see, what the Lord was trying to teach us is this. It is our job to serve God. And it is his job to supply us. Now, most of us have that completely backwards. Most people think that it is our job to supply us, and it is God's job to serve us. If they could, they'd probably change the words to that old hymn to, I'll have my own way, Lord. I'll have my own way. I'll be the potter, and you be the clay. I'll mold you, and I'll make you after my will. While you are waiting, yielded and still. Isn't that sadly how many of us have made God? We've made him in our own image. We've made an idol. Because we don't really want to obey him. And it's exactly that attitude that cuts off the blessing of God. You see, in a real sense, we have been called to live from hand to mouth. But if that hand is his hand, then I'm fine with him feeding me. That's the way it should be. There was a missionary who was getting ready to embark and to go away to uh, serve internationally. And as he was getting on the ship, as he was on that gangplank, a friend of his who was a very wealthy person came by and said, just a moment, just a moment. And they met and he, he slipped an envelope into that missionary's hand and it was a sealed envelope. And his friend said to him, uh, you, you take this envelope. And if at any time while you're overseas on mission, you come to that place where you have exhausted every possibility and you, and you don't know where else to turn and, and you have a need that you cannot meet anywhere else, then you open this envelope. The missionary took that envelope and he thanked him. He put it in his pocket and he went up that gang plank and he stayed on that mission field for 20 years. And at the end of 20 years, he came back home, and he walked down that same gangplank, and he met that same wealthy friend, and he returned that same envelope, still sealed and still unopened, and he said, never did I come to the place where I did not know where to turn, nor what to do. Do you want to make the rest of your life the best of your life? Then allow Jesus Christ to be your Lord. Allow him to meet your needs. Put him first and then all these things shall be added unto you. He will meet the needs of your life. Live every moment for him and he will take care of the rest. It starts with a relationship of complete surrender and trust and then you will continue through all, all of eternity. And so maybe this morning the first decision that needs to be made is that you need a relationship with Christ. You need to surrender the lordship of your life over to Christ. You need to repent of your sin and say, you know what, I'm done living for myself, and I'm ready to give it all over to you. And if you'll do that, if you'll by faith accept what he has done, then you shall be saved. But for some of us, we just need to say, you know what, I, I have a relationship with Christ, but I'm not always living, seeking him first. So, sometimes I still fall back into that, seeking my will, seeking my kingdom.
And maybe some of us just need to make a decision today. You know what? I'm, I'm tired of doing it myself, Lord. I, I give it to you. I give you every aspect of my life that I should seek your kingdom first. And then trust that all these things shall be added. And then I can stop having the anxiety. I can stop having the worry because I'm just going to trust you, Lord. Perhaps this morning you need to make this your church home. You've been here for quite some time and you've said, you know what? I'm ready to make it official to make this the place that I call home. Whatever the Lord's called you to, would you be obedient this morning to just say yes, Lord, and allow him to take care of the rest? Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, I pray that we truly would seek you first and your kingdom. And Lord, this morning, if there's even one who does not yet know you as Savior, and Lord, I pray today that even right now you are beginning to convict them in such a way that they recognize it's time to surrender. It's time to give you everything. It's time to seek your kingdom first. To your honor and to your glory. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, would you come? Would you be obedient to the Lord?